also people have gotten back to me when they read my comics about following your dreams that oh you know I'm going to follow my dreams you know I'm gonna, I've always wanted to be a writer I say okay that's great you know um, how much writing have you done before oh you know not much you know but I'm going to start now and and you know I think I'm going to be able to do it I'm going to tell my parents you know I'm going to be a writer and and they're willing to you know to to leave their jobs and do these crazy things but before I left my jobs you know like I'd said before I'd, I'd done a lot of cartooning and practice and I'd worked I'd had some comics published yeah I just think it's a bit of a loaded advice that follow your dreams one and it's one that I've kind of actively tried to explain underneath my comics about following your dreams that it's not as easy as it sounds What's going on, world? Welcome back to The Taylor Blum Project, a show where I interview some of the world's most successful and interesting people about how they got to where they are, the obstacles that they had to overcome, and any good stories or pieces of advice that they got along the way. On today's episode, I have New York Times bestselling illustrator Gavin Ong Thane from Zen Pencils, the super popular web comic series in which Gavin takes inspirational or popular quotes and then he puts his own spin on it through his illustrations and his comics so it's almost like a story within a story with a quote attached to it it's a really cool idea you can find all of gavin's comics at zenpencils.com that's z-e-n-p-e-n-c-i-l-s.com and he does other things as far as merchandise he sells some of his comics on canvas prints on posters um, a whole lot of stuff. I think all of you guys should really check it out. Anybody that I've recommended it to has loved it. It's really cool. It's really inspirational stuff. He talks about it, how he wanted to do a different take on what he sees online. Just these bland quotes that are on some background that has candle lights or it's on a beach. He puts an actual story to it. So it's really entertaining and it's a really unique way of doing it. And in this interview, he talks a lot about that and his inspiration behind that because he actually changed careers. He started out in the newspaper industry and didn't want anything to do with it. And then he just up and quit around his 30s and decided he wanted to be a full-time cartoonist and pursue his passion. Gavin also talks about what it was like to start a company and a brand from scratch, having no influencers and not knowing anybody really in the comic world because he's kind of isolated, like he mentions in this interview in Australia, which is where he lives. If you want to know more about Gavin, you can find him on Twitter at ZenPencils. I mentioned his website already is ZenPencils.com. You can find him on Instagram at the same name, ZenPencils. Gavin has also published four books. His first two landed him on the New York Times bestseller list, and those were Zen Pencils, subtitled Cartoon Quotes from Inspirational Folks, and his second book, Zen Pencils Volume 2, subtitled Dream the Impossible Dream. He also has a Zen Pencils for Kids and his most recent book, Creative Struggle, subtitle Illustrated Advice from Masters of Creativity. Also, a little note or asterisk about this interview. I had just gotten done with having a cold and a sore throat and I lost my voice and it was just starting to come back. So if my voice sounds a little off or scratchy or not pleasant to listen to, not that it ever really is. That would be the reasoning why, but the show must go on. And like me and Gavin talk about in this interview, even if you aren't feeling the greatest, the professionals got to do their work. So wasn't feeling great, but hey, we powered through 
and we got a good interview out of it. So without any further ado, here is my conversation and interview with Gavin. Enjoy. And we're live. Gavin, thanks for joining me. This is a little unique for me because as I'm recording this, it's Monday night in the United States and it's already Tuesday morning for you over there. Yeah, I'm in the future, Taylor, um, from sunny Perth in Australia. So yeah, it's a, it's a nice uh, morning here. What's it like over there in Iowa? Well, it's dark right now and it's the middle of December, but it's actually pretty nice. So I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> so benefits of climate change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. So Gavin, before we really get into your career where you're known as a New York Times bestselling cartoonist, what were you like growing up? Were comics a huge influence for you throughout your life? Uh, yeah, definitely. So yeah, I was always that, that uh, kid who, who knew about comics, who read comics. And, you know, this was before comic books were cool, before superhero movies uh, had taken over the world like they have now. So, you know, I was a kid that could draw. People always ask me to draw them pictures of various things. I would draw pictures of uh, my teachers, um, unflattering pictures of my teachers. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I always was into cartoons and comics and kind of would always copy my favorite characters from the comic books. And, you know, that just kind of continued throughout my life basically to where I'm lucky enough to be able to do it for a living. As you were growing up, what were the best lessons that your parents taught you that really resonate with you even to this day? Um, well, it's funny you should say that because, you know, I've got a, even though I'm in Australia, I'm my parent, I've got an Asian background. So the kind of traditional Asian parenting guidebook is that arts and creativity is a kind of shunned upon and looked down upon. So, you know, I was always pushed into the more academic fields of kind of uh, being a doctor or a lawyer. And, you know, since I could draw, um, they thought, you know, I should be an architect because, you know, they just draw houses, right? <laughs> it's a lot more respectable than being a cartoonist. So, you know, they weren't that supportive of, of the cartooning side of my life. But um, looking back on it now, I did kind of pick up a few things just, you know, because um, my my parents migrated to Australia um, before I was born and, you know, they didn't have much when they, when they moved over and, you know, my dad built up a quite a successful printing company and I would just kind of see, you know, through his example, you know, the importance of, you know, hard work. Um, basically he kind of was working kind of a factory job and he also quit and to start his own business, uh, which I thought was pretty, um, brave of him to do with uh, two young kids and it kind of uh, flourished. So I kind of yeah, picked that up from him, just the importance of hard work and if you want something to go for it, basically. So how was that conversation with you and your parents when you told them and we'll kind of get to um, how you quit your, your quote unquote real job to go into this. Yeah. But yeah. How was that conversation when you told them, like, hey, I want to do this cartooning thing for real, the drawing, the illustrating, all that? Uh, <laughs> well, um, after I kind of – it was kind of a late-in-life move. Um, I kind of did what I was told to do, which is kind of go to university. Like, there was pretty much no discussion about that. I was expected that I go to university. 
um, and get a decent job upon graduation. Um, so that's what I did. I, I went down the graphic design path where it was kind of a bit of a compromise where I still did something creative, but it was kind of um, a lot more realistic that I get a job in this field of graphic design, which kind of um, was needed uh, to please my parents, basically. I had to kind of, you know, get a job after graduating and, you know, join the workforce. Um, so I didn't, really, I didn't really have that conversation about being a cartoonist until I was, you know, almost 30 when I I'd left my home of Perth. I'd moved to Melbourne, which is on the other side of Australia. That's when I kind of took up cartooning really seriously. And by then, you know, when I told my parents, it was kind of too late for them to <laughs> stop me, basically. <laughs> too old to kind of say anything anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were just like, all right, just... Just I hope you know what you're doing, basically. Well, from everything I've seen and read of yours, you definitely do. So it's a good move. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. So if we rewind, you said you went to university to study graphic design. And I've heard yeah. you quoted as saying you did that because, quote, cartooning wasn't a real job, which you kind of spoke on already. Right. And then you got a job yeah. at a newspaper. What was that like? Well, you see, that was, uh, yeah, so after university, I got a job at one of the main newspapers here in Perth and yeah looking back on it it was really good for me actually because I did learn a lot about graphic design and I got to kind of um, master like design programs like um, Adobe Photoshop and InDesign and stuff which um, I use a lot today so that was helpful and also being a newspaper they had um, comic strips of course and I kind of um, weaseled my way into having a comic strip uh, published in that newspaper. So in my spare time, I would work on this kind of goofy superhero strip and that would be published um, in the paper every week. And I did that for over five years, basically. So every week for five years, I would get a comic strip complete um, in my spare time. This wasn't part of my actual nine to five job. And that was really, really helpful for me to just kind of, you know, build up those reps of, of drawing and getting a, a finished piece of work done every week and that really um, was kind of my apprenticeship in cartooning. So it was really a, um, a beneficial job, that initial job. So you did the comic strip as a side job. What was the schedule like as far as coming up with ideas and drawing them out while you have your main job on top of it? Because you said yeah, you had exactly. to get them out weekly, right? Yeah, weekly. Um, I did one every week. Um, newspapers, you know, they don't they don't not publish, so it was every week, um, 52 weeks a year. Um, and then um, I kind of, you know, after that, doing that for a few years, I, I decided to move to Melbourne, where I got another job at a, at a newspaper in Melbourne, and <laughs> I managed to weasel my way into getting another comic strip published in that newspaper. So I, um, at one point, I was doing two comic strips a week um, on top of um, a full-time job, and that was over... A period of three years, I think. So yeah, it was a lot of um, a lot of um, free time that I, I sacrificed, but it was yeah all for trying to chase this dream of being a cartoonist. So yeah, the initial dream was to be like a syndicated cartoonist, like um, you know a Garfield or Calvin and Hobbes. But you know by the time I was doing that, you know that kind of model was really dying off. Um, especially in Australia, it was pretty unheard of to be a successful full-time syndicated cartoonist. 
so eventually I just kind of moved down to the webcomic path and that's eventually when I got to Zen Pencils. When you had these two comic strips going simultaneously while you were obviously doing the graphic design for the newspaper, I'm yep. curious, how much pressure is there to come up with new ideas on a week-by-week basis? Um, well, yeah, there's a lot of pressure because, you know, come, you know, rain or shine, that deadline has to be met and you've got to have that comic strip in the paper. Otherwise, they're not going to publish, you know, a blank panel, basically. So, um, it really did kind of um, build up my muscle of just kind of coming up with a new idea every week and just figuring out idea generation, writing a new story. Um, yeah, so it was really, even though, you know, financially it wasn't really beneficial for me, I wasn't really making any money on it, but it was really good practice. And, you know, yeah, a lot of readers kind of email me and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I love drawing and I want to be a cartoonist, you know, I'm going to, I've never done a comic strip before, but I've got a good idea and I think I'm going to quit my job and, you know, I'm going to do it. And <laughs> they, they don't really understand that, you know, there's got to be like hundreds of hours of practice that really goes into making comics before you can, I guess, hit that professional level. And it's, it's cool for you because you were able to sharpen your sword, so to speak, with all those reps exactly. at the newspaper. Yeah. When did yeah. you realize all right, it's time for me to really try this thing on my own. Well, yeah, that, um, so the pressure was um, was quite um, intense. And after, yeah, you know, three to five years of, of doing it as, as a side job with no real kind of light at the end of the tunnel, no real kind of improvement happening, no one really noticing the work or, you know, I was expecting, you know, you know, it's just some, comic pub, uh, company just to say, you know, we've seen your work, Gavin, in this newspaper and we want you to draw comics for us for full time. For You know, you can quit your job. But, you know, that never happened and it was kind of foolish for me to think that it would happen. So eventually, yeah, I was kind of burnt out after doing that for so long. And the actual um, graphic design job was also not going that great because uh, the newspapers, I'm sure it's the same in America, but yeah, newspapers were kind of uh, I wouldn't say dying, but you know, the kind of they were kind of going through a really quite a large state of flux, I guess. Where yeah, yep. Uh, everyone, everyone was, you know, going to digital, and you know, these newspaper companies were kind of <laughs> floundering and trying to catch up. And yeah, a lot of my friends were losing their jobs, a lot of um, kind of um, retrenchments and jobs going away. So I kind of wanted to make that change. I didn't want to get a redundancy. I wanted to kind of go out on my own terms. And I knew that these these side comic strips weren't really going to do it for me. So I decided to just basically scrap everything and just try to come up with something new. And I kind of um, put in my, my notice for my job. And I had a bit of time. The notice was quite long that I had to give because I'd been an employee for almost 10 years. So I had a bit of time to think about a new webcomic idea and that's when eventually the idea of Zen Pencils came to me and it was, I was kind of foolish or confident but yeah, I thought it was a good idea and I decided to just go for it 100% and when I did finish up at that job, I cancelled those two comic strips, I quit those, um, I kind of brought those to a close and I was ready to try Zen Pencils, yeah, full time. And how old were you when you decided to quit? Um, I was 
So yeah, I was also approaching uh, my 30th birthday, and for some reason, I thought 30 was uh, old. (laughs) 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 And well, I thought you know I should be you know I should be closer to my goals by the time I was 30, basically. So I was about 29 when I made that decision, and by the time yeah I was 30, I I had started Zen Pencil. And now I know you're married now. Were you married at that time in this transition? Um, well, yeah, that was another crazy thing. I just got married basically around that time as well. And so how so did it was your... a big, uh, big year for me. <laughs> right. Yeah, no doubt. How did your wife take that transition and helping you through that? What were her thoughts? Uh, well, yeah, she had known me since university and basically she had seen me chasing this dream of uh, since, she had, since she had known me basically. So she was pretty she was very supportive actually which i'm very thankful for and she knew that this is what i wanted to do and that i had you know better just try it fully at least once in my life so she was supportive and i'm very grateful so can you cuz i'm really interested in this you know when you hear okay, about yeah. people changing careers or changing industries it's almost yeah. like they say oh i quit and then i went to this new career and then you know you go through the struggles of that and then you ultimately yeah. succeed. But what I want to know back to is, can you take us back to that time where you quit and you don't know how Zen Pencils is going to work out? Like now yeah. looking back, it worked out really well for you. But what were you and your wife yeah. like then at that time where you're really chasing after this and you don't know if it's going to work or not? Yeah, exactly. Um, also, another um, crazy thing that happened was, yeah, financially, you know, people think, you know, how did you do that? How did you... How did you quit your job? You know, where was money coming from in that first initial, you know, six to twelve months? Um, so what uh, what my wife and I did is we had a small property uh, in Melbourne that we sold uh, that we were living in, uh, and we kind of uh, did that. <laughs> so yeah, we kind of um, had a bit of money from that sale where I could uh, survive, well, we could survive for six months basically. So I had six months to to kind of see where Zen Pencils would take me. And if I knew that I had made a horrible mistake, then um, I could probably get another graphic design job somewhere. So yeah, six, I had a six-month deadline, basically, just to see um, of, of not worrying about finances and just to kind of go for it um, with all my heart. And... The funny thing is that I also kind of convinced my wife to change her job at the same time because, <laughs> uh, yeah, she was um, she was unhappy in her line of work, which was um, advertising and marketing. And she had kind of, she had, you know, no, no love for that. And she kind of quit her job to study to be a vet nurse. So she kind of did the whole career change as well. So, oh, wow. Was that the same time yeah. that you were doing yours too? Pretty much around the same time, maybe six months after me. Wow, big changes going on in your household at that time. Yeah, so yeah, it was kind of pretty crazy couple of years. We kind of went back to renting and, you know, we kind of, we we knew that, you know, we'd have to make sacrifices, you know, financially. We didn't, you know, go out and spend crazy amounts of money. We didn't go to, you know, fancy restaurants or, you you know, buy unnecessary things. We just kind of... Uh, we're a bit more smarter with our, our finances, and um, yeah, we kind of both decided to to make a change for the better. <laughs> now, it's really hard for people to take risks, and I'm a big believer in that any big risk you take, you probably don't regret whether it turns out good or bad because it helps shape you in some way. 
but you've said yeah. about yourself that you're not a big risk taker. Why did you ultimately decide to take this one? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, yeah, because I've always been the pretty, uh, what's the word, like a, a boy scout. I was a pretty good boy and I was always, you know, did what he was told when I was a kid from my parents, from my teachers. I guess I was just yeah, fed up of it, basically. I had I'd done what was expected of me. I, you know, went to uni, got a good job, bought a house, and, you know, I'd done everything. <laughs> what was I meant to do next? Is this, was that it? Why did I, you know, not feel fulfilled, basically? So, yeah, I just kind of took a, a good hard look at my life and where I was and where I wanted to be. And, yeah, that's what prompted the, the big risk, I guess. And now we can get onto Zen Pencils. And I still remember the first time I heard of your website and your comics. There's oh, a yeah. famous, well-known astronomer named Phil Platt. And he had oh, said yeah. that any time he sees one of your comics, especially the really inspirational ones, he tears yeah. up. And I thought that was <laughs> so cool. So like, all right, I got to check this out. And I just kind of became yeah. completely enthralled once I went to your website. Uh, thanks, and man. what's really cool about it is you have like a story within all these quotes. You almost build like a universe where there's recurring characters in different yeah. quotes. You even do different yeah. styles. It's really cool. And my question is kind of a loaded question. I don't know if there's one answer, but how did you come up with the idea behind Zen pencils? Is it something you yeah. had or did it morph into what it is now? Um, yeah. So thanks for those, for the kind words. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, it's kind of, let me think, how did Zen Pencils? Yeah, so like I said, I'd, I'd worked on those two comic strips in the newspapers and they were I'd put them online as webcomics too because, you know, webcomics had kind of grown quite a lot um, in those years and there were quite a few, or not, not a quite a few, there were a handful of people making a, a living from webcomics. So that's what I wanted to try and do. But... I knew I didn't want to do just a traditional comic where it was a kind of an ongoing storyline. I knew I didn't want to do like a funny comic, like a gag comic. And I knew from doing those previous comic strips that I got bored of drawing the same thing over and over again. So there are some parameters that I set for myself when thinking of a new webcomic, and that was each comic could be self-contained. Um, so you could read it without having to know any other backstory of my comics. And I wanted it to be for people who normally don't read comics. So you didn't have to be like a big fantasy buff. It wasn't like a long, intricate storyline. So anyone can just go to the website, read a story, and move on, basically. So that was what I was going for. And the next uh, challenge was trying to, to find, you know, what, what could could, could uh, fulfill those parameters. And so I was going through a kind of uh, existential crisis, I would say, around that time when I, my job was boring and the comic strips weren't working out. And I was reading a lot of kind of inspirational quotes and kind of self-help books and stuff like that. So that's when I was kind of collecting a few of my favorite quotes. And so I know this is a long answer, but <laughs> um, I was collecting some quotes and I was seeing a lot of quotes on Facebook and Twitter and people were just kind of posting bad typography on bad photographs, basically. <laughs> so you would see some comic sands on a sunset with a nice quote on it. And it would look horrible. 
So I thought, you know, maybe there's something there. I could take some of these quotes that I had saved that were helping me um, through my own personal um, challenge. And maybe I could combine them with comics, which is what I wanted to do, which is cartooning. So that's where the initial idea came from. And then eventually that year evolved to what if I take a quote and I turn it into a unique comic story for each quote. And that was basically the idea. And um, yeah, I, I had a, like five to ten of my favorite quotes that I, that I tried first as comics. And I showed them to some friends and they all thought it was a pretty good idea. And I thought it was quite a unique idea. And, you know, I could, t I could sell those comics as posters potentially. So that was a potential uh, revenue stream. And that's when the idea came basically. And I've kind of, yeah, I kind of went for it. I knew it was unique. It hadn't been seen before. And thankfully it kind of took off. I think it's brilliant. And there's nothing out there like it like you said it's very unique but my question is when you were starting what did mm -hmm. that look like how difficult was that what were the struggles you had to overcome when you were starting zen pencils oh well yeah i mean initially i'm sure you can relate to this um starting a podcast you know just trying to get the word out there trying to trying to get seen and you know obviously social media was was really big for me um and people were like so i mean there was a bit of um what's the word calculation involved in it. I knew that I could use some of these really famous, I wouldn't say influencers, but you know, people like Phil Plate, people like, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman, people who had large online followings, you know, I could use some of their quotes and, you know, hopefully they would see it and then hopefully they would share it. You know, I wasn't trying to be disingenuous where I would, take people's quotes that I didn't really admire or anything, but these are all people that I really um, admired and that I was, fan, I was a fan of. So that was one of the initial ways that it kind of got spread was where, for instance, Phil Plate, he saw one of my first Carl Sagan uh, comic and Carl Sagan's a famous um, astronomer who's like a science communicator. Um, and Phil was a fan of that and he shared it. He wrote a blog post about it. So he was very supportive. So initially I would kind of just tweet it to various people online. Sometimes I would get a response. Most of the times there would be no response. So that was the initial way. It was just word of mouth, social media, um, and it kind of just kept building traction from there. When you started this out and now you're getting Phil Plate, like you said, the famous astronomer, to share your stuff – yeah. And now you go on speaking engagements and you have people getting married that are inspired by your comics <laughs> or changing careers that were inspired by what you've done. Did you have yes. any idea when you started that it become what it is now? Oh, no, definitely not. No way. Um, it's kind of, yeah, it's been amazing. It's taken on a bit of a life of its own. Um, only, my only goal was to be able to support myself off the website, basically. So yeah, what's happened, like you said, yeah, people have kind of reenacted one of my love stories about um, proposing to their girlfriends. They've kind of adapted some of my comics into plays, into short short films, you know, animated films. People have um, told me that they've been inspired to change their careers. It's just been really amazing. Um, it's kind of changed me um, as a person for the better. It's kind of opened my eyes to 
to, I mean, because readers send me quotes too, so they've kind of opened up my eyes to new people, to new ways of thinking. So yeah, it's just been um, life-changing. So you mentioned um, generating revenue off your website. So your comics are obviously for free. Anybody can go on zenpencils.com and look yeah. through your comics. Were there any concerns about how you were going to be able to make a living off of it? Um, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I just kind of followed the basic webcomic model, which is a really bad model. <laughs> so, I mean, well, I mean, you would know too, podcasting, basically no one wants to pay for anything online, basically. And that's not going to change, unfortunately. There are things now that are helpful, like Patreon and stuff like that, where people can donate money to independent artists. But yeah, the basic model for webcomics was you build up a big audience, which in, which in itself is really hard, and then you sell that audience merchandise. That's the model. And thankfully, I, I was able to generate some income. I mean, not a lot of income. But eventually, um, in the second year, I probably, I think it was the second year, or the third year, I got a book deal as well to collect the comics into a book. So that, that helped, obviously. And that initial year, I was also doing a bit of freelance work, uh, cartooning freelance work, where people were finding me through Zen Pencils and hiring me to work for them. So, yeah, it's kind of kind of have a various various streams of income, basically, where you can't just rely on one, but you put money together and you can kind of squeak out a living from it. So when you're doing a Zen Pencils original comic, can you walk me through that process? What's that like from beginning to the time you hit publish to put it on the website? Uh, sure. Um, so the first thing is obviously to find that quote, uh, a good quote, which is hard. So 50, probably 50% yeah, 50, 50 um, I find and probably 50% I get sent from my readers. How do you know which uh, quote that you're going to use? What, do you have any criteria as far as that goes? Uh, well, initially, at the start of the website, it was kind of all about, you know, um, you know, chasing your dreams and kind of inspiring stuff, which is because I was kind of going through that transition myself in life. But lately, I've kind of been just switching it up, just very, doing various other things. So I think I've done as much as I can do about kind of inspirational quotes. I've pushed that as far as I can. So I'm kind of the newer comics. Um, and to kind of deal with, um, you know, race or the environment, politics, the Me Too movement, uh, the Me Too movement. So yeah, I'm just kind of choosing things that interest me or topical stuff, and a lot about creativity as well, which is what I did my uh, my latest book on. What was all about creativity? So I was looking for creativity quotes. Um, so once I find the quote, the hard part is yeah, kind of coming up with that idea, and. That can, you know, that can happen various ways where I would just kind of sit on that idea or sit on the quote for a while and just think about it for quite a long time. Um, it very rarely happens like a lightning bolt. It kind of is kind of a, a natural process where I would think about it. I would maybe I'd, maybe I'd want to feature one of my recurring characters. So that might be the start of an idea. And yeah, once I have that idea, I just kind of do very loose sketches rough drawings and then, you know, I do the pencils and the inks by hand and I do the colors on the computer. So, you know, it takes maybe one to two weeks to do one, I would say. And just for everybody listening, you can find all of Gavin's comics and drawings on zenpencils.com. 
Yep. So going forward, what are your plans for Zen Pencils in the future? Because obviously you have a really large following with your website. Do you have any additional plans on how you want to do that in the future? Um, well, actually, I've kind of um, – Zen Pencils is kind of on a mini hiatus at the moment because I'm kind of exploring um, kids' books at the moment. So I've managed to, to secure like a, a deal to write and draw a series of um, middle-grade graphic novels, which is something I'm really excited about. So that will probably be my priority over the next year, I would say. And I'll probably do Zen Pencils when I can. But yeah, I was just kind of, um, it's been six years of doing Zen Pencils. So I really just wanted to maybe try something different, try to stop myself from kind of getting bored of Zen Pencils. So yeah, just to try something different and then work on Zen Pencils when I want to have a bit of free time. Now, this is actually a perfect segue because you mentioned your books and you have three books out now. And I know you're working on one um, as we speak, too. But can you yep. tell me the story of your first book deal and how that came about? All right. Yeah, that's so yeah, that's a pretty cool story. So one of my comics I did uh, was a quote from uh, Roger Ebert. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He, he was yep. a movie critic or the most famous critic in America, I would say. So he passed away. And so I thought as a fitting tribute, I should do a comic um, with one of his quotes, which I did. It's all about his belief, about kindness. Uh, and it's one of my favorite comics that I've done. And so that kind of went a little bit viral, I would say. A lot of people saw that comic. And so I just got this email one day where um, it said, oh, hello, you don't know me. I saw your Roger Ebert comic. I thought it was really great. Um, I passed it on to his wife and uh, she liked it because I, I used to be his editor because he's got a lot of books out. I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's so cool to hear that, you know, that his editor and wife saw the comic. That was great. So she ended the email there. She just wanted to say good job. But I saw where her email came from, which was Andrews McMill Publishing. And they kind of are known for publishing comic collections. Because they publish all of Calvin and Hobbes comics, uh, Garfield collections, uh, The Far Side, etc. So I was like, wow, that's that would be perfect if they kind of published Zen Pencil's book. So I just wrote back a, a, a reply saying, oh, thanks very much. Oh, you know, by the way, uh, would you be interested in a, maybe a Zen Pencil's collection? And she went, oh, interesting. And she kind of, yeah, she took it to her her acquisitions team and they kind of went over it and um, eventually they offered me a deal and that's how I got that first deal. So pretty crazy that, you know, you never know who sees your work out there. So just put your work out there and something positive like that might, might happen. Oh, absolutely. What's the process of putting together that collection to get into a book to a bookstore? What's that whole process like from beginning from that email to where it's out mm -hmm. on bookshelves? Um, yeah, so it's quite a, a long a process, although since it's a collection of existing work, it's not that, not as daunting as, you know, starting from scratch, I would say. But uh, for Zen Pencils, it's a bit different because I have to get various permissions from all the, the quote authors or the estates of people who, have, who are deceased. So it's, it involves me kind of sending a lot of emails to all these people asking for uh, permission to get the book in the collection. So sometimes they require a fee or a license. Sometimes they're willing to give it to you for free. Sometimes they are not willing to give it to you at all. So unfortunately, some of um, 
the comics on the website don't appear in the collections because I didn't get permission from the author. What's their reasoning so, for not giving you permission? Is there any? Well, yeah, it, it's, it was really um, a shame because um, a couple of my favorite comics didn't get permission. Um, I don't know. It's just a personal thing with the estate or with the author. Um, I can't really tell you for sure. So you have over like 150, 200 comics on the Zen Pencils. Yeah. So you had to reach out to all those people to get that permission? Um, well, some of them you don't need permission because they're in the public domain. Some of them, yeah, basically if they're not in the public domain, yeah, I did have to get permission. But yeah, I wouldn't say it was 200, but yeah, there was quite a lot. About 50 to 100, I did have to get permission. You have to wait for them to get back to you. Sometimes they never get back to you. Just like me, I would never get back to you, Taylor, when you were emailing me. <laughs> All I did <laughs> was one, and you eventually did, so then it worked. Yeah, so yeah, you're, you're waiting you know, for weeks, sometimes weeks and weeks and weeks, and they don't reply, and yeah, it's a painful process. But, you know, that's, um, you know, it, it comes with the territory when you're adapting other people's words, so I can't really bitch about it too much. So you you work on getting all these licenses to use these quotes. So then where does it go from there? Um, so so yeah, sometimes they require a fee. You basically just have to pay them. And then, you know, I just work out with the editor the final selection of comics. And for the first collection, it was just all reprinted stuff from my website. And that's it. You just kind of send them the comics and it takes, you know, they've got a, a schedule that they follow so it normally happens, you know, within, you know, a year that they published the book. Um, and, yeah, the first book did, did pretty well. Um, it made the New York Times list for graphic novels, which was amazing. It's a pretty long and uh, painful process. Yeah, I think it goes without saying when you first see your book in physical form, you see it at a bookstore, it's a pretty cool feeling. But can you yeah. really describe what's going on in your head when you finally see that? Oh, I mean, it was just, yeah, like a lifelong dream come true for me. Um, I'd always just wanted to be a professional cartoonist. That's all I wanted to be. And, you know, that was kind of validation that I, I was on the right path. I wasn't deluding myself. I could do it. And, um, you know, just to have it published by that company that published all these, you know, iconic comics was even, you know, was even just icing on the cake, basically. It was really a dream come true, like I said. So what do your parents think of your career choice now? <laughs> oh, yeah. Whenever they see their friends, you know, they take all their credit. Like, oh, you know, I always <laughs> said it was going to be, <laughs> he gets the drawing side from me, you know, you know, so, you know, they're fine with it now. So, yeah, it's kind of all worked out well in hindsight. But, um, yeah, so I recommend that you don't do what your parents tell you. <laughs> do what you want to do. <laughs> So currently, um, you're working on your books, like I mentioned, and I don't know how much you can talk about your current book, but then you yeah. also decided to do teaching at a middle school. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you chose to do that? Oh, well, that was, um, yeah, so that was just kind of happened spontaneously. I, a friend of a friend of a friend, you know, kind of put me in touch with this principal of a school. They were looking, I wasn't like a full-time teacher, it's just one day a week, so it wasn't... Um, too strenuous but yeah they were just looking for like they have various artists in residency programs where they kind of bring in professionals from the outside world to help with the students to work with various whatever their you know field of expertise is and yeah so I just spent one term at this school one day a week just kind of teaching there which is really great it just finished up last week so it's not an ongoing thing it was just for 
couple of months. And yeah, I'm working on this new book project, which is for middle grade kids. Um, if you think about, if you have kids and they read Diary of a Wimpy Kid or Captain Underpants, stuff like that. So it's totally different from Zen Pencils. It's kind of fun superhero book that will be out next year. And yeah, I'm really excited about it. It's just something different and uh, I'm really looking forward to, you know, just working for kids and just kind of just drawing crazy, wacky adventures of, of these superhero characters that I've created. So yeah, that's what I'm working on at the moment. So you've kind of built yourself up from hustling your way at the newspaper um, doing comic strips while you're also working a full-time job to now you have this huge brand, you're selling books, um, you're pretty successful, I would say. What are your adulthood goals now? Now that you've achieved, you're a cartoonist, you're on the New York Times list. Yeah. Uh, adult goals, that's a good question, man. I haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully um, this new series takes off and um, uh, resonates with kids. I'd really like it to be like a successful series uh, where I could keep doing them for the foreseeable future. Just to keep working on Zen Pencils when I can, keep that alive. I don't update it nearly as much as I used to, but I do plan to, to kind of get back to it in 2019. Um, but life goals, you know, just just uh, always avoid going back to that old job, basically. I'll do whatever it <laughs> takes. Do whatever it takes. I'll hustle. I'll keep drawing. Um, yeah, I just don't want to kind of uh, fall back into that, that pit um, of just basically hating what I was doing. Um, so as long as I can keep my head above water with cartooning, I'll keep doing that. And, you know, just to kind of find a bit more spare time to spend with my daughter, who's two now, and with my wife. And, yeah, just kind of find that work-life balance. Because I was kind of, kind of, what would I say, I was overworking myself with Zen Pencil. Just, yeah, it was a lot of work doing that just to try and find a bit more balance in my life, I guess. When you talk about balance, and a lot of the people I talk to say exactly what you're saying, wish they had more balance, how many days of the week, how many hours of the day are you talking that when you were at your high point that you were working? Well, yeah, definitely um, kind of, it's kind of changed a bit now working on this new book, but when I was um, right in the middle of Zen Pencils at its um, you know height, you know, definitely six days um, a week. Um, you know, working from home, you know, has its ups and downs. So I would always kind of be thinking about the work, always thinking about what am I going to do next, always sneaking into the office to work on this, to send a few emails, to, you know, answer a few social media things. Just was always on your mind, basically. So I've tried to 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 make a make it a goal to you try to avoid that not get not to get not so caught up in um in the work basically um it is hard especially working from home but um yeah it was kind of draining uh, when i was doing it all the time but you know again saying that it's what i wanted so i can't really complain about it too much because it's what I, my goal was but just to try and you know work out a bit more of a balance where i wasn't avoiding you know sacrificing time with the family too much and yeah so it was all consuming at one point. <laughs> There's obviously a lot of demands on your time. And I'm more talking about outside of your family. That comes first and foremost. I think that goes without saying. But what I'm curious about is 
what have you become better at saying no at to all those outside people who want a piece of your time, kind of like myself? <laughs> What's the best way you've found out to tell people no? Well, basically, just delete the email. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so, but um, yeah, it is hard. It is hard, um, especially email. You know, you're constantly getting these emails. You know, I know that's what you have to do because um, it worked. You, I know, I resonated with your story. You know, um, starting a new pod, I, podcast. I know how hard it, how hard it is. And you were seemed to be a genuine fan of my work, and you knew what I'd done. And plus, you're into basketball, so uh, <laughs> there we go. I got that I connection. Wanted, yeah. So I decided, you know, I'm happy to do your podcast. But yeah, it is hard to just to to kind of. Um, what's the word, um, close off yourself from all those outside distractions. So um, I find that not having that email, my work email come to my phone um, is one way that I've done it. Taking Twitter off my phone is another way I've done it. Taking Facebook off my phone is another thing I've done. So yeah, just trying to avoid these distractions and just kind of you know, when you're working, you're working. You're not kind of checking your phone. You're not kind of checking the internet. And then when you're not working, you're not working. You're actually 100% engaged, you know, with my wife and daughter or friends and family just to kind of, yeah, have that, that you know, that line in the sand basically. All right. Now we're going to go on to the rapid fire questions. And so okay, I give cool. these to all my guests, not the same questions, but a lot of them are the same. You can answer these in regards to your um, illustrating cartooning career or just life in general, however you want to answer them. Yep, no worries. Sounds good. So the first one is, what are you too timid to try publicly, even though you know you're good at it? <laughs> um, well, you did mention... Um... I did. I have done some public engagements um, in the past, and I have got a lot more uh, invitations to, to do more. But um, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm really, uh, I'm really a shy person. I don't really like public speaking. But a lot of people say that they've enjoyed the talks that I've done. I kind of, yeah. So I do avoid public speaking when, yeah. It just is really. I worry about it so much. I get so anxious about the talk and I have to practice and practice and practice. So yeah, that's something that I've, I say no to a lot more these days. Oh, public speaking's tough. Yeah. <laughs> what's the worst advice you hear given? Oh God, what's the worst advice? Um, well, I know this is going to sound horrible because I give this advice on 10 pencils, but I think it's it's difficult that whole follow your dreams, man. You know, advice that is so um, prevalent on social media these days. Um, I mean, yeah, definitely you should follow your dreams. But a lot of my readers are international now, and um, a lot of them come from you know poorer countries, third world countries, where you know they can't follow their dreams. They've got a they've got a family to support. They've got a they've got to find a job. So yeah, it's definitely something I find, what's the word? It's a privilege to be able to follow your dreams, basically. You know, we're lucky enough to live in, in first world countries where they're rich and we have lots of opportunities. So, you know, I think it's just also people have gotten back to me when they read my comics about following your dreams that, oh, you know, I'm going to follow my dreams. You know, I'm gonna, I've always wanted to be a writer. I said, okay, that's great. You know, um, 
how much writing have you done before? Oh, no, not much, you know, but I'm going to start now. And, and, you know, I think I'm going to be able to do it. I'm going to tell my parents, you know, I'm going to be a writer. And, and they're willing to, you know, to, to leave their jobs and do these crazy things. But before I left my jobs, you know, like I'd said before, I'd, I'd done a lot of cartooning and practice and I'd worked, I'd had some comics published. See, I just think it's a bit of a loaded advice that follow your dreams one. And it's one that I've kind of actively tried to explain underneath my comics about following your dreams that it's not as easy as it sounds. If you could give your younger self when you first started out, just got out of university, if you could give that, Gavin, a cheat sheet, something that you yeah. learned <laughs> that you wish you would have known at the start. Uh, right, yeah. Um, well, it's funny because um, although the previous jobs I was working, it's funny that they kind of became valuable to what I'm doing now. So, you know, you never know where you're going to end up, basically. You never know what what experience you're, that you're gaining is valuable in what you're going to be doing in the future. So always keep that in mind. But um, if I could say something to my younger self, I'd probably say, you know, I would have trusted my gut earlier, to follow my gut earlier, basically, because um, I was working as a designer for, you know, over eight years. I reckon I could have left um, a few years earlier, kind of saved myself some time and some, um, you know, being unhappy at that job. I could have left a bit earlier, but I was probably too scared, scared of, you know, the repercussions, scared of, of failing, basically. So, yeah, I would have just told myself, do it a bit earlier, what you're going to do. Was there ever a time when you were at, you had already quit at the newspaper, you're at Zen Pencils, you're doing it full time. Was there ever a time where you thought like, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. I don't know if it's going to work. Did you have thoughts about quitting? <laughs> oh, yeah, every day. <laughs> How do you overcome I, those? I still think that I'm not good enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, you basically just have to just, um, yeah, the, initially the, the first month or so of, of, or first two to three months of Zen Pencils, they were, you know, quite um, um, often that I would think, you know, what have I done? I'm, I'm making a huge mistake here. I left a pretty safe, secure um, environment to do this. You know, I'm pretty stupid. But yeah, I just kind of, you know, you just kind of have to push through it. Keep, just keep working, basically. You know, we all have that imposter syndrome, I guess. It's what it's called. Um, I still have it. I still, you know, scroll through Instagram and I see all these amazing artists that I follow and just like, oh my God, they're so good. I, you know, I'm nowhere near as good as these people. But, you know, we all have those doubts and you just have to kind of keep going anyway and just kind of push through, I guess. So exceptional people always seem to have like the special talent for converting life's setbacks into like future successes. So what are some of yours, some of those obstacles that you've overcome that really stick um, out in your head? Yeah, just kind of, well, yeah, there's one comic that I always kind of, that is quite uh, one of my favorites. And um, it's basically about that is about is overcoming um, obstacles. And it basically says that, you know, there there's always going to be more talented people than than you. There's always going to be smarter people than you. There's always going to be you know, more educated people than you, but um, they, they're not going to work as hard as you're going to work, basically. So you're going to reach that finish line because 
you have that persistence and determination that they don't and you're not willing to give up when they are. So you just have to yeah, overcome whatever obstacles I have. I mean, I'm trying to think of specific obstacles, you know, just trying to trying to get Zen pencils out there, getting it from, you know, zero traffic to getting traffic, basically, that's an obstacle. But yeah, just kind of coming up with ideas, trying to face that blank page is a is a daily obstacle that you have to, that I have to overcome. And just basically, you have to just work when you don't feel like working. And that's the difference between being like a professional and an amateur is when professional, when they don't feel like doing the work, um, you know, they just got to roll up their sleeves and they'll get to work and then eventually an idea will come and um, just have to, you know, push through the obstacles and keep fighting, I guess. I think that's great advice. And I've heard from a couple of different people, two quotes about that is the professional is the amateur who didn't give up. Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. Yeah. And then another one I heard was, um, it goes to what you're saying, like you got to work on the days when you don't feel good. Cause if you don't, yeah. you're not even going to come close to where you want to get to. And yeah, obviously exactly. I'm paraphrasing that, but it goes to what you're saying. Yeah. There's a comic that I did, uh, for that, my creativity book, um, the quotes from Tchaikovsky, the, the famous composer. And yeah, I recommend that people read that one. It's just about, yeah, he talks about mastering your disinclination, basically, where, you know, some days the inspiration is not going to be there. We you know where he's sitting at the piano and there's nothing coming to him and he, he can easily just quit and uh, kind of go do something else. But, you know, you just stay there. Eventually something will happen. And, you know, that is the difference between being an amateur and a professional. Who are your mentors and what's the best advice they give you? Oh, mentors. Um, it's a good question. I haven't really had any like great mentors, unfortunately. I've always lived in like a, a bubble here in Australia where there's, there's not a huge cartooning scene, I guess. But there are a few, you know, people that I admire and uh, artists that I am really influenced by. Um, a few of those, I would say, uh, Calvin and Hobbes creator is uh, Bill Watterson. He's a you know very famous cartoonist, and again, he I followed his uh, career path, and you know he went through the same thing where he worked at a job, not a newspaper job, but like a an advertising you know markup, uh, putting together ads, basically type of job, and he lived in his his parents' basement for five years, just trying to you know sending away these comic strip submissions and, you know, getting rejection after rejection after rejection. And, you know, again, he didn't give up, just kept going. Eventually he, he hit, he hit it with a Calvin and Hobbes. And one advice that he gives is that, you know, he, he was willing to take advice because his initial idea for Calvin and Hobbes um, was about parents and Calvin and his little stuffed tiger were little background characters. And one of the, one of the, comic syndicates suggested, oh, why don't you focus on these, on the little boy and his tiger rather than his parent? You know, a lot of people would have said, you know, screw you, I'm going to do what I want to do. My idea is about the parents. But he was willing to, you know, take on that advice that, you know what, maybe I should try that. And then, you know, it became one of the most beloved comic strips in the world. So, yeah, I've got a few influences him. Um, Jack Kirby, is a, he's one of the famous superhero um, comic book artists. Again, he was just insane, had this insane work ethic. He basically was chained to his drawing board, which is not something that's good. <laughs> but he had this 
he had this insane work ethic where he would just draw all day and all night. And, you know, he kind of was was uh, screwed over by Marvel Comics and you know, he wasn't given his due credit or his due um, uh, financial awards. And, you know, he just kind of kept putting through it. He just kept creating these amazing characters. And, yeah, he's really one of my heroes too. So I don't have many actual <laughs> mentors that I interact with, but I have these heroes that I, I aspire to in the cartooning field. Yeah, that's just as well. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think most people don't understand about being successful and getting to the point that you're at? I don't know, man. It just never never ends, basically. You always kind of – you're never satisfied, I guess, which is – you know, something that I need to work on basically. So, you know, the, the goalposts keep shifting, you know, you can, when I was, when I was 18 and someone would have told me, oh, you're going to have a, a book published, um, with your comics and people are going to like that book and it's going to be fairly successful. Um, I would have said, oh my God, that's amazing. You know, that's all I'll ever want. And then once that happens, you go, oh, okay, now what? <laughs> and, you know, you just kind of don't, you kind of are the same person inside. You just kind of keep chasing these, you know, imaginary goals, basically, which is something uh, that I should try to avoid. But, yeah, I've kind of – what they don't understand is that, you know, you can't just keep chasing these imaginary things like a book deal or, um, you know, social media followers – or money because, um, you know, that's not really going to do it for you. Um, you really just have to, what I've found anyway, is you really have to just find the pleasure in the actual work and just be satisfied creating, making new stories, making new co comics, you know, having um, people resonate with your work. That really is the ultimate goal. And I think the less you focus about the, you know, external stuff, that doesn't really matter because it doesn't really fulfill you as you think it would okay last question i got for you so you have a loudspeaker microphone that can be broadcast to the entire <laughs> world what message do you want to broadcast to the people oh god uh what message would i want to broadcast um basically uh comics are really cool they should all read comics uh they still don't get the the credit, credit they deserve, I find. Um, just say that, you know, if you have an idea or a project that you'd like to start, just start it, you know. Um, it's better to, you know, my favorite quote that I've adapted is the Theodore Roosevelt Man in the Arena quote. People should look that up if they never heard of it before. But it's just all about just getting in there. It's better to be in the arena fighting, metaphorically fighting, um, than rather just being in the stands and, you know, criticizing them, people who are in the ring fighting, basically. That's something like that. I'm paraphrasing it very badly. But, yeah, just be in the arena, you know, have a go. It's better to, you know, fail than to never, you know, try at all. One thing I can tell you about your man in the arena, um, I bought the canvas for my father, who is a member right. of the United States Congress. So I can tell you for sure that I know your posters <laughs> hanging up in the halls of Congress there. So, Oh, wow. That would be amazing. I mean, tell him to send me a photo. I'd love to see that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, Gavin, you have a great story. You do great works. Your comics are awesome, and you give absolutely amazing advice. So I can't thank you enough, and I appreciate the time you gave me um, to talk about it. Oh, no worries, Taylor. Thanks so much, man. Best of luck with the podcast, and, yeah, thanks again for having me. 
Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Taylor Blum Project. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with all your friends, your coworkers, your family. That, and the only other thing I ask of you is leave a review on iTunes. Even if you didn't like it, let me know what you didn't like, what I could have done better. If you liked it, let me know that as well. Any information I can get is great. You can find me on Twitter at Taylor Blum, T-A-Y-L-O-R-B-L-U-M, or you can visit my website, taylorblumproject.com. Thanks for listening.